Good morning. So this morning it's going to be Why Do We Pray Part 4? There is an enemy. <clears throat> um, you know, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, uh, I think, Matthew chapter 17. Let me get my notes. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> we've been reading through the Lord's Prayer. We've been reading through, uh, let's see here, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And so the first part we've been talking about is our relationship with God, our Father who are in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We're talking about praising Him and being thankful. So we actually spent about two series just on being thankful and about worshiping the Lord and how, how that really affects our prayers. And so the next part is going to be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, your kingdom come. This one's going to cover a lot of topics here. I mean, number one, uh, who's really in control? Um, and talking about sovereignty of God, we're going to talk about that a little bit while we're while we're while we're learning, um, because you know probably the biggest question is, how can I pray if I don't know the will of God? You know, how can I? A lot of people they'll they'll pray this one prayer, if it be Thy will. And this prayer right here is pretty much a faith killer. The reason why is because when you pray this, if it be thy will, you throw out a bunch of scriptures that Jesus taught on about believing and not doubting. You know, because whenever you pray this prayer, if it be thy will, um, this is not in the example prayer. If you'll notice in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus doesn't teach us pray if it be thy will. Or he didn't say you know, well, your will be done. He doesn't, it doesn't end there. It's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus actually describes to us what his will is in that statement. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, whatever's happening in heaven, God wants to happen here. That's the perfect will of God. So when we pray, if it be thy will, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in detail. I think, I believe I've got this written in my notes here to actually go over it's really a faith killer because when people pray this they really don't know what the will of god is and so they can't have confidence when they pray because they don't know what they're asking for they don't know if that what they're asking for god really wants to happen so therefore they have no faith they have a bunch of doubt so this prayer and this statement right here is usually led leads with doubt and not faith the reason why people pray this prayer is because they don't know the will of God. They're like, hey, if it be thy will, they're saying that because they don't know God's will. Um, and if you actually go to the, the passage that is talking about, if it be thy will, you're talking about when Jesus was in the garden. And in the garden, Jesus is praying and he's saying, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Okay, so what happens is Jesus has already heard God go to the cross. Jesus has already prophesied to his disciples, the Son of Man must die and rise again. So he's already prophesied about his death. He already knows he's going to go to the cross. He already knows he's going to die. And then he sits in the garden and he prays, if it be thy will. Most people, when they pray this prayer, haven't already heard from God that something awful is going to happen. God didn't tell them, hey, something's awful is going to happen. And then they go into their prayer closet and say, well, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. First of all, they don't even know They've never heard God that that awful thing is going to happen. That, that what, and they to even think that possibly that was truly God's will. They have no word from God. 
to know that that awful thing that's going to happen is from God. See what I mean? And so when Jesus prayed this, he knew this awful thing was going to happen. He knew it. He absolutely had no doubt. He believed that he was going to die on the cross and rise again. When he prayed this prayer, he was waiting for God to speak to him again. He wasn't waiting for coincidence to occur. He wasn't waiting for happen chance. He wasn't waiting for something um, out of the blue to just occur and all of a sudden derail the, this thing that he had heard from God. He wasn't waiting for just something to fall out of the sky. Okay, He was waiting for a word. When he prayed this, he was asking God to give him a new word. When he said, if it be thy will, he was basically saying, are your, is, are, is it, am I hearing you correctly? That's what he was saying. Am I hearing you correctly? And are you going to change it last minute? The reason why this is appropriate to ask in his situation is because he's really following the same example that Abraham did. When Abraham um, took his son up on the mountain to kill his son, God had told him, kill your son. So he went up on the mountain to kill his son. When he was on the mountain, he got another word from God that says, don't kill your son. So Abraham wasn't waiting for something to just interrupt him, except the word of God only. When Abraham got up on the mountain, he didn't wait for, uh, he, if his wife had come and tried to knock him off, and, uh, off the cliff and say, you can't kill my son, he couldn't have said, well, you know, that wasn't the will of God. See what I mean? The thing is, the will of God was that he obey him. So he was being obedient even to the point of killing his own son. And then he heard another word as he's about to kill his son, Abraham, don't kill the boy. So Jesus is in the garden. He's praying this prayer, if it be thy will. And he knows the will of God, which is to die on the cross and rise again. And he's praying this prayer. He's waiting for God to give him a brand new answer is what he's trying to do. But he doesn't hear that answer. And so therefore, he submits and he humbles himself. So when he said, nevertheless, nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. Thy will be done, not mine. He already knew the answer. Jesus operated in a perfect faith. Jesus heard God. He heard God this one. If it be thy will, he's, he's hearing God and saying, well, um, I know I'm supposed to die, but if you want to change your mind, that's great. Then over here he says, nevertheless, thy will be done, not mine. He heard him again. What do you hear? You're still going to the cross. Okay? <laughs> so Jesus was submitting when he prayed this. When Jesus prayed this prayer, it wasn't a toss-up, if it be thy will. See? Most people, when they pray this prayer, they're saying, well, whatever happens, happens. And if it happens, it must be God's will. That's not how Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying like this because he already knew the will of God. When we pray like this, it's because we don't know the will of God. See? There's a difference. When we pray it, it's full of doubt. When Jesus prayed it, it was full of faith. If it be thy will. In other words, Father, if you can give me a new word right now, I'll change the course of what you want me to do. But if you still want me to go to the cross, I'll go to the cross. And he sat there, and he waited, and Jesus heard God. He says in the word, he says, I never do anything I don't see my Father doing. So therefore, when he got arrested... He got put into, he got arrested, he submitted himself, he didn't fight back. If he had heard God, if he had, if he had heard God say, no, rise up and take over your kingdom, your earthly kingdom right now. You know, I just wanted to see if you would follow, if you, if you were willing, you know what I mean? That was his mountain experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was waiting on God to hear because he knew he was about to be arrested. All right? But no, he didn't hear anything else. He already knew the will of God. Peter cuts off the ear, off the guard, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? Put your sword away. You don't know what spirit you're in of. And he gets, picks up the ear and heals the guy. And he goes to the cross. He gets to the place. Pilate's like, don't you know I have the power to take your life? Or 
<clears throat> or to save it. And Jesus says, there's no power that's been given you that hasn't been given from God. You know, nobody takes my life, Jesus said, I give it. So we see that the whole time, it wasn't that he was waiting for happen chance to happen, or he wasn't waiting for um, uh, somebody else. Does that make sense? He wasn't just waiting for things to just happen. Well, God opens the doors that no man can open and closes the doors that no man can close. People use that all the time. Jesus wasn't waiting for no doors to open. He wasn't waiting for no doors to close. In our perspective. See, and when we say that God opens the doors, then we automatically assume that if a door gets open, that must be from God. And that's not true either. <laughs> I mean, what I mean by this is sometimes we try something and then something else opens up over here and we think, well, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to go over there. But we didn't hear from God. We just went over there. Okay? What I'm about to show you today is how much influence you really have on the story. Okay? Today we're going to talk about how much influence you really have on the story and how, how much God is sovereign, but he's not in control like we think he is. Like, God doesn't just manipulate everything um, to, wait, to the perfect way that he wants it to happen. The thing is, there's a lot of things that happen that God doesn't want to happen. There's a lot of things that happen that aren't the will of God. But God is so good, Romans chapter 8 says, that he is so good that he can turn all things around for the good of those who love him. So, when, while God is sovereign in the fact that he's able, to, he's able to take everything that's thrown at him and wisely orchestrate it to the way he wants it to eventually turn out, it's not that everything that happens is God's perfect will. Does that make sense? Um, God is just so good that he's able to make all things work towards those. Even the things that he didn't want to happen, he can still make those things turn around. That's how good God is is that when I've done something wrong that violates his will, he's still able to take my uh, GPS of my life and say, rerouting, I'm going to get you back on a track. Does that make sense? You know? All right, check this out. So, does this make sense that when Jesus was praying this, that will be done on earth and that will be done, he was really submitting to what he already knew God's will was. When we pray this, a lot of times it's just because we don't know what God's will is. And that's dangerous, man. And that, and that creates in us, first of all, tons of unanswered prayers. People who pray like this, I know because I was one. People who pray like this never see their prayers get answered. You know? They just see coincidence all the time and then they tag God's name on it. Well, look, it must have been from God. And that's a little dangerous. Because, I mean, not, don't get me wrong. God is so good. He can turn all things good towards those who love him. So there are times, man, it's like, Wow, look what God did, you know, even though I messed up, see? But at the same time, uh, when you talk about operating in faith and, like, actually moving things out of the way, it's crazy. All right, All right. for instance, <coughs> let's, let's go over here. Uh, part of this uh, king is kingdom of advancement. So we read last time, Exodus chapter 23, verse 30, uh, verse 30, Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. All right, so... God told them, go into the land and take the land. So here's an example of a, of a, of a happen chance. There's a story in, in, the, uh, in, in Joshua, I believe, uh, where there's this people. I can't remember what the name of the peoples are. But they come over the hill. They know that the Israelites are coming. Okay, So they come over the hill. They're like, hey, hey. And see, God had told them to kill everybody in the land. All right, They come over the hill. They're like, hey, uh, we just want to make peace with you. We've heard about you and your God. Well, they didn't know that these people were just over the hill. Okay, they said, "Well, swear to us that you're not from here, that you're from far off." He goes, "Yeah, we're from far off, right?" And so they make a pact with him. 
shake hands, or whatever they do, make a covenant. Next day or two, they go over the hill. There they are. Well, God told them to kill everybody. Check this. Watch. This is how. Um, this is how sometimes things don't happen perfectly the way God wills it, but God's able to work all things mm -hmm. towards the good. Okay. So God said, "Kill everybody." Right? <clears throat> kill everybody. They make a pact with a group that they were unaware of as being a part of this land. So they make covenant with the people on the other side of the hill. Alright? They make covenant with the neighbors. When they go over the hill, they find out these are the people they just talked to. They're like, wait a minute. We're supposed to kill you, all of you. They're like, yeah, but you already made a covenant with us. You can't kill us now. Alright? So they, when they consulted the Lord, of course, they couldn't break this covenant. Even though that wasn't the perfect will of God. God still said, I don't want you to break that covenant. That's wrong. See, even though I told you to kill everybody else first, now you made this covenant with them. Now you can't break the covenant. All right, so years later, they go back on their covenant. They go, we should have killed everybody. We're going to go kill them. So they go kill these guys. And start, they start um, having war against these people that they had made covenant with so long ago. And it says that God was unhappy with them. Even though this wasn't originally his perfect will, now because they had made covenant... Now it became part of the story. See what I mean? So we can see how things that aren't necessarily God's perfection can still be thrown into God's will. Okay? Because God's... What is God's will? God's will is not fate. God's will is not fate. God's will is His desire. And His desires change towards people depending on their covenants and their hearts. All kinds of things. God's desires change. For instance, God desired to kill Ahab. He said, go tell, he tells Elijah, go tell Ahab, I'm going to kill him. This is the will of God. That's what the prophets do. They tell you the will of God. So the prophet Elijah comes to Ahab and says, listen, God's going to kill you and all your sons. Ahab rips his clothes. And God tells Elijah, Elijah, do you not see how much Ahab has humbled himself before me? Therefore, go and tell him that I'll prolong this judgment. So even so, you can see how God's desires are. It seems like all of a sudden He doesn't want to kill Ahab anymore. See what I mean? So I, I, let's just put it this way: if you want to, if you want to buckle it down, if, if 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 that would make it look like well, God's desires change. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? God wants to go kill Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, can I tell you this? It wasn't God's idea to kill Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says that the angels came to, to Abraham and says, "We're going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah." Because we've heard the outcry against it. And if we find out that this report is true, we're going we're gonna to destroy the city. And so you can see that it wasn't God's original idea to kill Sodom and Gomorrah and to destroy the city. He actually didn't do anything until people prayed. When people prayed, he decided to pass judgment. Okay? Justice. God is a God of justice. He must, he must pass just, judgment and... Also, he delivers the oppressed. That's the will of God. Now, he comes down there and he talks to Abraham. And Abraham's like, wait a minute. Far be it from you, God. Why would you kill these people? What if there was just like 50 people in there that were righteous? <coughs> would, you take, would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He goes, far be that from you, God. Watch, because Abraham knew God's character. Even though God was saying, I'm going to destroy the people, Abraham knew there was a deeper will inside the heart of God. And that was... Justice. True justice. And he wouldn't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. So Abraham is playing on something he knows is God's character. See, what we have to understand is God's will and God's character are synonymous. Okay? God's will and his character are synonymous. 
What he wants, what he truly wants in his heart is the deepest desire of his will. Yet there's some things that change that we look and we say, well, he said it, that must be his will. God said things that weren't always his will, not his perfect will. See, God didn't want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted Sodom and Gomorrah to repent. See, God is always looking for the man who repents. That's a deeper desire. See, God has a... a what, what does God desire? He desires justice. Well, if you repent, that's justice too. If you're punished, that's justice too. Justice and mercy. God's, if you want to really boil down God's perfect will, it is justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. And if what you want to do brings about justice or mercy, God's all for it. This is really good. Woo. If what you are wanting to do brings about justice or mercy, God is pretty much for it. Okay? Why? Because he's not a liar. So if you break the law, he has to judge. But he also is not a liar in the fact that he says he's got a way to redeem you, which is mercy. This is the one that trumps justice. Mercy trumps justice. You know, God's love covers a multitude of sins. This is the perfect picture of God. So if you really want to get down to it, it's love. Love is the perfect will of God. How do I know this? Because God passed judgment out of love. When God passed judgment, the Bible says that he was the deliverer of the oppressed. God always passed judgment because he loved the oppressed. He's the defender of the weak. So this is the whole point. Like when we look at justice, like when we look at how God was judging the people of Israel, <clears throat> it was really because people were being oppressed. He would, he would tell, talk to him in Isaiah 57, I believe talking about a fast. He says, you fast and you, you think I'm going to hear your prayers? And my true fast is that you give to the poor. My true fast is that you clothe the naked. My true fast is that you take care of the needy. Right? So why was he uh, judging them in Isaiah 57? Because, I believe it's 57. I may have my chapter wrong. Uh, <coughs> 58. Isaiah 58. Um, he says, this is my fast. That you, you basically take care of the needy. So he was judging the people of, of Israel during that time. Isaiah 58. He's actually prophesying <coughs> about how the Assyrians will come and conquer the land and pass judgment. They were God's judgment on the people. Why? Because the people of Israel had forsaken justice. They had forsaken taking care of the needy. They had started oppressing them with corrupt leaders. So God sent Assyria there to judge Israel. Why? Because of justice. Why? Because of love. Because he loved the people who were being oppressed. See what I'm saying? So everything God does is out of love. Even judgment. Um... But my point is this, every little perfect thing that happens, it, it, God's, my, it's always coming back to this, see? It's always coming back to those who love him, who works the good for those who love him. He's always working towards loving those who are oppressed, loving the weak, loving the needy, loving the victim, you know? And that's why, check this out, whenever the Assyrians would come and judge the people of Israel, put them into bondage, they would humble themselves and cry out to God for mercy. And then God would come and send another peoples against Assyria to destroy them to deliver the people of Israel from the oppression of the Assyrians. So God is, is so crazy, but God is always looking out for the one who's in need. So when they humbled themselves, or when they got humbled, then God gave them grace. This is why it's so important to humble ourselves before our, our, our life humbles us. Or it's so important for us to just humble ourselves before the Lord so we'll receive grace. Because life will humble us if, we're not, if we are prideful, you see. And if we, if we forsake justice, then the Bible says very clearly in Galatians, do not, it says, it says, uh, 
Here, check this out. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, he shall also reap. Okay? So, whatever we sow into is what we're going to reap, you know? And this is New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, 7. You're going to reap what you sow. So, if, we, if we're prideful, then we're going to sow into things that, because of our lack of justice. Okay? But if we're humble and we're merciful, we reap mercy. It's good stuff. Alright, so... Let's go through a few scriptures here to talk about um, how I know that everything, every little thing isn't from necessarily from God. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, uh, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And the New Living Translation says, or the, the King James Version says, that the whole world is swayed by the evil one. Um, 1 John 5, 19, verse, uh, New Living Translation says, we know that we are children of God, and the whole world around us is under the control. <clears throat> under the control of the evil one. And what this is like is like putting a bridle in the mouth of a horse. Uh, the world is under the bondage and under the slavery of the evil one. Okay, He's swayed, or he is under the power, or he's under the control of the evil one. That doesn't mean that necessarily you don't have a will. You know, because you get to pick right or wrong. But the Bible says in Romans, it says, Don't you know that you are a slave of the one whom you obey? So when the devil tempts us and we obey him, we become his slave. Okay? We've submitted ourselves to his slavery and he has become our master. Okay? <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, 6. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 6. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. So he's talking to Jesus. So we're talking to Jesus, the Son of God, talking to the devil. And the devil says, All these kingdoms have been given to me. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. The only thing Jesus says is, I should only worship God. That's how he responds. <clears throat> I wrote something here. If God's will was equivalent to... To equivalent to fate, then it would be, uh, then it would not be able to be violated. Yet the word will really in, infers desire and not fate. We violate, we violate God's will on a daily basis, and this is why it's so important to further the kingdom of God. This establishes God's will on earth, because God's will is not happening on earth. So we are God's chosen instruments to enforce the will of God on the earth. <clears throat> God's will is that he rules and he reigns. We need to further his kingdom to the places where he is not currently ruling and reigning. And so the devil, it says right here in Luke chapter 4, 6, that the devil is actually in control and he's actually the one who owns the kingdoms of the world. And it's our job to conquer that kingdom for the kingdom of God. So then the question is, does, does, God will, does God's will always happen? So we're going to write another verse up here. Uh, it's... Matthew chapter 18, verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So oftentimes we, we believe that God's will is not thwartable. The truth is God's will is not fulfilled quite often. A lot of people go to hell that God doesn't want to go to hell. In Ezekiel it says that it is not my, I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
So we see that God's will is not that the, the wicked should even perish. Not even the wicked. Like we know that, we talked about it earlier, justice and mercy. So you'd think that, well, maybe justice, God does get pleasure out of the death of the wicked. But Ezekiel says that God does not get just get, does not get pleasure out of the death, death of the wicked. Uh, I need to find that one. Just, uh, I do not take pleasure. It is Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. <clears throat> I do not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is what it, that I desire that they should repent and live. So, while God's will is justice, which really is the, the, the deliverance of the oppressed, he also does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So there's this half will of God that's pleased in this one. The oppressed get delivered, but the wicked perish, and that's not God's will either. See, God desires that they repent and that they turn and go to the oppressed and repent to them. And create peace and peacemaking. And that's why the Bible says that blessed are the peacemakers in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. God isn't desiring the one who's oppressing you gets justice. Scripture says, watch this. <clears throat> you know what, I can't remember where it is. But the scripture says, I believe in Proverbs or Psalms. It says that we shouldn't rejoice when our enemy is going through problems. Lest, that the, lest the Lord... Turn away from his wrath on him and pour it on us. There's an Old Testament passage, you know, expressing how we shouldn't take pleasure in the fact that our, our enemies are getting what came to them. We should never say in our hearts, man, I wish they'd just get what they came, what was coming to them. Because that's not God's will. Woo, come on. God's will isn't that they get what's coming to them. God's will is that they get mercy. Man, that's so powerful. See, this is so powerful, man. This is why Jesus says, pray for your enemies. You know, pray for the... This should definitely be part of our, our teaching. Praying for your enemies. It's in Luke chapter 6. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Proverbs 24. Can you read that real quick? Do you mind? Uh, yeah, let me find it. We're going to be... While he's looking that up, we're looking up uh, Luke chapter 6. Um, Beatitudes and loving for enemies. So, did you get it? Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's a better that's better than me trying to botch it up with my lack of memory there. <laughs> um, yeah, can you read that one more time, dude? That was really good. Mm -hmm. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. All right. So this is like when you're a little kid. This is why it's so important to teach your kids when you have brothers and sisters. And you, one of them's getting a spanking and the other one's snickering over there. <laughs> you know, that's when you got to get on to them now. Hey, now because you laughed, the Bible says that we shouldn't take pleasure when our enemies are getting what's coming to them. You know? And we got to discipline them now. We have to start teaching our children how to love their enemies. This is so important. This is so important to understand why God judged in the Old Testament. God judged in the Old Testament immediate death and stuff like that because of the oppression of the innocent. And so he was... Now, but if the innocent had prayed for mercy for their oppressors, man, I wonder what the story would be like, man. Whew, golly. Probably would have found somebody of faith a whole lot sooner. Um, because, see, that's the truth, man. God is God of mercy. God is a God of love. Even in the Old Testament, man. We, all these passages are from the Old Testament. The one he just read, 
All right, so check this out. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, <coughs> Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners to, for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Wow. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. You know, I'm really getting into, uh, into a series in the future. I need to probably stop teaching on this part because it's just so good. Uh, because this really comes down into the peacemaking section of the prayer. Uh, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So we're really kind of touching on that one, and it's a little too early. But I'm trying to explain something. I'm trying to explain that, <clears throat> that God's will is for justice, but God's will is also for mercy. God's will is for mercy and love. And so why it says, loving your enemies, man. Loving your enemies. So it is not my will. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In Ezekiel it says, it's not my will that even the wicked should perish, but that they should turn and live. <clears throat> Oftentimes we believe, I'm going to read this real quick. Oftentimes we believe the will of God is not thwartable. The truth is God's will is not fulfilled quite often. This is why we often say, let's seek God's will. While God, so, this is so weird. People are like, you can't change God's will. The same people that say, hey, whatever God's will is, is going to happen, you can't change it. Those are the same people say, hey, we got to seek God's will. All right, well, I don't understand that. If God's will is going to happen anyway, why am I even seeking his will? See what I mean? <laughs> so I can fulfill what he already had for me that I'm not going to be able to thwart anyway? What's the point in desiring God if whatever he's going to do is just going to happen anyway? You know? What we have to realize is that we play a central role in the will of God being fulfilled on the earth. And it is our job to, des to desire and to seek God's will so that we know what his will is on the earth so we can go and fulfill it. Because if we don't go fulfill it, we won't be a part of it. He, yeah, he's going to wait around until somebody else comes around and is willing to fulfill it. That's true. I do believe that. But at the same time, you're, the will of God for your life will not be fulfilled. And that is the point, is that God has a will for each and every person in the kingdom of God. And you must fulfill your will. I mean, you, you must fulfill the will of God for your life, in your life. Otherwise, his will in your life is thwarted, you see? <clears throat> the will of God isn't just a grand scheme thing. The will of God is an individual basis as well. God's will for your life, not just God's will in the big grand scheme of things. Yeah, the big grand scheme of things, that thing's like on a, that's like a train on a railroad. You can't stop that one, but you can definitely stop the one that's happening in your life. Check this out. The scripture says, um, <clears throat> it talks about, the scripture says, uh, let, let, let's look up uh, Psalm 78 in the New King James Version. Verse, uh, let's see here. I believe it's verse 38. Hmm. No, I have it wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm messing up. I can't figure it out. There's a scripture verse in the New King James Version that says, And they limited the Holy One of Israel because of their grumbling and complaining and their lack of faith. 
They hindered what God wanted to do. God's original intention was not for them to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Their, his original intention was for them to go into the land of Canaan immediately. But they came back with 10 spies with an evil report, believing the deceived word, the lie, believing the lie of their eyes. When they looked at the land and saw the, the, the giants there, they were saying, listen, um, we can't take the land. And the Bible says that they came back with an evil report. And they hindered the Holy Word of Israel because they did not obey him and did not trust him and did not put faith in him. So for 40 years, they wandered the wilderness, dying out. And finally, they got to go into the, plant, the land of promise. But it wasn't God's will that they did that. It was their lack of faith. Does that make sense? It was their unbelief in God. Um, sorry, I couldn't find the scripture verse. Uh, I thought I would find it pretty quick, but... It may be, maybe Isaiah, but... All right, so check this out. We can keep going. <clears throat> that we have traditionally defined as God's will. Uh, let's see here. Otherwise, why would we be commanded to pray? So one thing I wrote on here was if, if God's will or fate is, mo is most definitely um, unchangeable, then why why do we even why are we even commanded to pray? Like prayer is the point of prayer isn't in this in this in this uh, passage it's talking about your kingdom come your will be done. It isn't just talking about how prayer is for your moral character, building up your character. Pray you know a lot of people think that's what it's all about. Well, I'm praying just so that it because it changes me. And while yeah, prayer does change you. And prayer is designed to make is to move you out of the way and let God move. Then, um, well, that's all true. It, the point is to that it actually moves something. Prayer moves something. If prayer didn't move something, or if, if your prayers didn't matter, then we wouldn't be commanded to pray. You see, that's huge. If you, if everything that's going to happen is just God's will, then why am I even commanded to pray? The reason why is because your prayers can change things. This is why uh, Abraham, when God came to Abraham, he came to Abraham on purpose. He knew the heart of Abraham. He knew that Abraham would cry out for mercy. God knew the heart of Abraham. He said, should I withhold from Abraham what we're about to do? Seem as the whole, all the nations will be blessed through his seed. They decide, and the, 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 the Trinity decides, oh, we're going to go talk to him. So we're going to go talk to him. They go talk to him. And then Abraham, sure enough, displays a priesthood mentality. God loves the priesthood. Abraham became a priest on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they weren't even his people. And he says, far be it from you, God. Crazy stuff. I found it, by the way. It is Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It says, How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Verse 41 Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Man, that's powerful. Like when you, like we can, people don't realize God can be limited. Psalm 78 verse 41, this is the New King James Version. It says that they, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. And this is just bizarre. And it was because of their grumbling and their complaining. It was because of their unbelief. Well, and this goes back to our previous session, talking about, uh, I was talking about grumbling and complaining and being thankful, being thankful. Um, <clears throat> all right. So we see a couple things. I just want to kind of recap. Okay, the title of this one is supposed to be "There Is an Enemy," um, and I don't think we really got to that. I think we kind of got to it. One thing we talked about how 
is number one that the devil, the evil one, is in control. Okay? God's will has to do with his desire, not fate. And our prayers can change things. Okay, so while we got this up here, the reason why it's so important to understand that God's will doesn't always happen is because of this. If you pray and you believe that God's will always happens, then you will have lack of confidence when praying. Because you'll be afraid to ask God for something. Because what if what he wants, what if what if what's happening right now is God's will? How can I pray against God's will? So it creates doubt when we believe that everything that happens is God's will, and we have lack of confidence. Because we don't want to pray against God. Who can win against God? You see? But if we understand that there are just some things that are not God's will, and if we can learn what those things are, then we can definitely pray against them. Because if it's not God's will, then we know it's from the devil. And we know that the devil is a player because the Bible says he's in control of everything. See? So if he's in control of everything, I would actually venture to say that almost everything that's happened isn't necessarily God's will. And that it's our job to pray the will of God to happen. You see? And that actually is biblical, Matthew chapter 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus tell us to pray that unless if his will was not happening on earth as it is in heaven? It's not, okay, here's what we have to realize. Because the devil is in control of everything, God's will is not happening on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, Jesus came to set the example and say, let me show you how it's done. This is how you bring the kingdom of heaven onto earth. Let me teach you how to pray. Matthew chapter 6. You pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's your job. So, no, God's not in control, but he does have a plan, and you are his plan. You're his plan to accomplish God's will on the earth. Because there is an enemy called the devil. And he hates your guts. And he wants to stop you. And we talked about last time, at the very close, I said, there's only two reasons for why things happen. Either to build your faith or to, cr or to crush your faith. Well, when the devil is in control, everything that happens to you is to crush your faith. You know? He tempts your family and they call you names, all kinds of stuff. Things happen to you and your kid. Or you see other people being taken advantage of and you start to begin to question if there really was a God, why would he allow this to happen? It's actually one of the biggest lies in the church that God is in control because it actually creates atheism. It's actually a bad theology. This bad theology has converted many people from God to atheism. Well, if God was in control, then he wouldn't let my uncle rape my sister. See? Those types of things. When we realize the devil is in control, man, that totally protects and reveres the character of God. That God, is, God was not in control of that. God did not will that to happen. It wasn't God's plan. Man, and that just changes everything. When I realize, wow, and you know what that really does? puts a whole lot of responsibility on me. Which is our rightful place. I've done a whole teaching, a 45-minute teaching online. You're welcome to look it up if you're, if you're on Facebook or whatever. It's called Authority and the Dominion of the Believer. Authority and Dominion of the Believer. This talks about our responsibility. <coughs> Oftentimes, we just want to blame a big government for all of our problems. We want to blame all the surroundings 
around us for all of our problems. And the truth is, we are the ones that need to take a stand and act on behalf of God and demand justice and do the right thing and create in our children upstanding godly people, you know? It's, it's us, man. If we would bring the kingdom of God into our homes, our children wouldn't go through this stuff like that, you know? Uh, they wouldn't become the rapist. They wouldn't be... You see, you have to understand every single rapist and every single pedophile out there was somebody's son or somebody's daughter. And if their parents had taught them the word of God, so whose fault is it, you know? We have to, it's, we have to start taking responsibility for what we're doing. We have to start taking responsibility and teaching others the right way so that they can bring the kingdom of God. Because where the kingdom of God is, there's peace, man. And there's love. And freedom. But everybody wants to have peace, love, and freedom without the kingdom of God. And it's not going to happen. You know? Man, I did not get very far in my notes today. But I really feel like that's what we're supposed to talk about. Um, there is an enemy. And I think our enemy really is bad theology. <laughs> the devil wants to deceive us and make us believe that God's out to get us. God's killing our kids and, you know... But, and wouldn't that make sense, man? I mean, think about this. The devil's in control. He wants to blame everything on God. That's, that, is such, that is such a ploy of the enemy. When you go to battle against somebody and you attack a country and you blame it on somebody else to create dissension between them so the battlefront's on the other side so I can come back through here and sneak and get what I want. Some manipulation, man. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to... He wants to do, he's doing the dirty work. He's pondering it on God and making us believe it. So we go and start being mad at God. We start becoming, a, instead of being allies with God, now we're enemies with God. The truth is the real enemy is over here and we don't even know he's even there. We're pretending, oh, I'm going to plug my ears and cover my eyes and I'm going to pretend that he can't see me and if he can't see me, he must not be there. But there are so many people that believe this. Everything that happens is God's will. They don't believe that there's really a devil out there. They don't believe the devil's real. They don't believe the devil's alive right now. You know? Now, this is so important to understand that we have an enemy. And his name's the devil or Satan. He hates our guts. And he's trying to deceive us. And he'll use the scripture to deceive us. To get us against God. And get us to stop praying. The most powerful thing you have is your faith and your prayers. If any of your theology causes you to stop praying. And stop believing. And stop trusting the Lord. Then it's bad theology. And that's, that's what I found growing up, is that a lot of this teaching, God's will, everything that happens is God's will, it's destroyed my prayer. It destroyed my prayers. I stopped praying. I stopped preaching the gospel. I was like, man, what's the point? If, if, uh, if God's just going to save whoever he wants to save, all it is is the devil twisting scripture to make me become inactive and become passive and eventually start to hate God. Anyway, that's, good. that's it, man. I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus for, for freedom that this word will set people free, and Lord, that um, Lord, that people will be victorious in their prayers and really understand the power and authority they have and the responsibility they have to make a difference. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Line ministry podcast. For additional teaching, prayer, information, or support, visit our website at boldasalignedministries.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our Facebook page for weekly updates on what God is doing here. We pray blessing over you and yours and for the passion and courage to walk boldly for God.